0: Just noticed the uh, the ROH uh, cap there. I couldn't just see earlier on, but I've just noticed uh the original, well, the second logo in the history of the company. So yeah, cap.
1: I, I got this <laughs> out of the uh the merchandise warehouse and my first run there back in 2010. I've hung on to it ever since. So uh oh, it's- wow.
0: It's an antique. It could it's gonna be worth mega books in the uh, in the years to come <laughs> let's it, hope, so. Fr- we'll um, hope so we'll start an auction right now i'm not that attached to it <laughs> you <laughs> could sign it as well and everything you know get everyone you to sign why well, don't i don't yeah, want to do exactly. the value by me signing it <laughs> no i think it would increase the value of myself joe um
2: The one really this is Shredy Break AKA Mr. Clanging and
1: Bangin'. you listening. So you are listening to. You are listening to Broken but Glorious.
2: Broken but glorious. Broken but glorious. Hey, yeah. Hello everyone. It's um, Stephen Jackson AKA DJ Two One Five, back again with another exclusive BBG Wrestling interview. This time with um wrestling and commentator and. Voice of Future of Honor, Joe Dombrowski. Um, This was a really in-depth, really great interview. I want to thank Joe, you know, several times over for how um, open he was with me about his career, about what makes him tick as an announcer, about some of his favourite matches and moments in not only Ring of Honor but in wrestling as a whole and um, it was great to just be able to talk to him after so long because I'm such a massive fan of his work. Um, So the first thing we spoke about which we dived straight into as this is a very long interview was his time over here in the UK uh, in Doncaster um, for IPW.
1: It was the craziest whirlwind that I had experienced in my life up to that point. I First of all, I, I can't say enough positive about the UK fans, the 1PW fans. They, to this day, are some of the loudest, most exuberant, passionate fans I've ever been in front of. Um, they always packed the Doncaster Dome, um, which, of course, Ring of Honor has run uh, in recent yeah. years. But um, almost every time I went there, it was a complete sellout or, or at least near a sellout. Um, and to be over there at 19 years old, at 20 years old, was wow. a massive learning experience to be in a locker room with AJ Styles and Jeff Jarrett and Abyss and Tracy Smothers and to be able to you know, have have a very small hand in the young careers of guys like Corey Graves and Drake Maverick, who you know uh, were destined to become huge stars, regardless of one PW, regardless of me. But 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 to be able to 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 have that small you know interaction with them and and play that small part of uh, of of you know whatever pieces to the puzzle I may have helped them find when they find. Or, or, or at least just giving them a platform or or been the voice to their story. Whatever involvement I had uh, was my privilege and honor because um, they're, they're both incredible people that I'm so proud of today. Um, as great as that talent roster was and as great as those fans were, I do wish that there was a little bit better infrastructure as far as um, the front office and administration. Um it didn't take me long to realize that the promoter was, was not experienced, uh, had never done this before, and really was in over his head. And me at 19 could only do so much to help. A couple of other people that were involved could only do so much to help. And um, unfortunately, I don't think any of us outside of the promoter ever had knowledge of the financials. And you know the record keeping as far as what money was and was not being made, what was going out the door with talent expenses, et cetera. So, unfortunately, the one PW business model wasn't sustainable. When you have between twelve and twenty fly-ins from you know across the ocean, when you have um, so much money tied up in uh, set and transportation and the best hotel. It was a hell of a time but you know we were selling out by the time i left the company i was a cost cutting measure and they were already on the verge of bankruptcy yeah. and they're selling out so so how does that sustain um yeah. you know I, I wish i could have one pw fall in my lap when i was 29 and not 19 um because i think the, the whole story would have been entirely different Not that I would have, you know, been the genius to come in and save the day, but I at least would have been able to say, wait a second, can we afford this? You know, I I wouldn't have had that naive mentality of like, oh, it's his money and he's got a family. He must know what he's doing. (laughs) Because wrestling promoters don't know what they're doing. A lot of times it's a vanity. Um, And that's what 1PW was. And, And, you know. I, I, don't, I don't want to knock Steven too much um, because he gave me a huge opportunity and, and I learned a ton and there were some of my favorite shows ever. Um, yeah. I'll always resent that um, he had Steve Carino let me go instead of do it himself. Um, and I love Steve, but, but I didn't have the relationship professionally or personally with Steve at the time that I had with Steven Gauntlet, the promoter. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of bittersweet. It's kind of a mixed bag. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, You know, it's helped me become the person I am today, Uh, whether it was learning what to do or what not to do. A lot of times I would just learn calling Abyss or calling Tracy Smothers and saying, hey, I have an idea. What about this? And you know, uh, uh, I think I would just make Tracy's head spin. He'd call me the mad scientist like I was Paul Hammond or something. But um, Abyss was a great person to learn from because he would tell me, no, brother, that doesn't work because this, 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 this. And I'd be like, damn it, he's right. And that would challenge me better. That would challenge me to come back with, OK, well, what if we did it this way? You know, Um and 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 there's always a way around everything. And one of my favorite matches from 1PW was Abyss versus Spud, Drake Maverick. And they made that work yeah. despite a 200-pound weight difference. Um, but just being around those guys made me better at what I did. Um, so yeah. I wouldn't trade it. But at the same time, I wish it could have lasted longer because, you know, with the right chefs in the kitchen, that could have been... Um, a huge game changer to usher in the UK wrestling boom instead of kind of the punchline it turned into near the end.
0: Yeah. um, You know, one PW, much like um, ring of honor at the time was shown on the, on the wrestling channel. So that was where I predominantly saw it. And, you know, it's always been one of those promotions which, like you said, you'd see guys like AJ Styles, you'd see guys like, um, as you mentioned, Tracy Smith was a real mixture of talent along with this up-and-coming UK talent. So it was always fun to watch. And, you know, it was a shame when it did kind of close its doors because it was, there was a strange transition period before we had the UK boom of Progress and Rev Pro and a lot of these big promotions that have come up come up now that was kind of the early years of that coming to be so it's um, and you know
1: honestly what one pw needed was they needed somebody on the ground floor of that uk scene um yeah because we we had doug williams we had johnny storm we had jody fleisch um spud fell on our lap um (laughs) i had no idea i had no idea who spud was the first show was a six-man tag of all brits um you know, we didn't book them. I was more in charge of, you know, helping facilitate the, the the imports from the United States. But as soon as we saw Spud, as soon as he did the crossbody into Abyss and Abyss didn't move, um, I think everybody realized like this guy's special. Um, and you know, a, a few other guys came along. You know, Alf Herman from Germany, uh, Andy Boy Simmons. Um, my yeah. last tour there is when I met Pac. It's when I met oh, wow. um, I, I just missed Mark Haskins. I think he came in right after me. Um, yeah. So if there was somebody there that was able to put the right local pieces in place, and we could maybe have five or seven fly-ins instead of 15 or 20, that's a serviceable, mm-hmm. serviceable business model. The talent was there, but the problem was there was no progress. There was no Rev Pro. There was no go-to place um, where these guys – had the notoriety that that they do today with these streaming channels and YouTube and all these different outlets. Uh, You had to kind of know where to look. You had FWA, but that was about it at the time. And the guy that was hired to kind of oversee the local talent and actually had a hand in hiring Me Too, um, he was gone before show one. I never actually met him face to face. Um, So we were just kind of stuck with and no disrespect to anybody that was there, but we were stuck with, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of guys who would show up and do ring crew or the guys that were kind of a holdover from from the previous gentleman who had been let go. And they worked hard, but they were never going to rise above a certain level. And yeah. they didn't have what the Pucks and the Ligueros and Andy Boy Simmons and all those guys possessed. And by the time you know carino and a lot of other guys you know found those talents and and put them in 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 positions to get known and and succeed um at that point you're putting a band-aid on a gunshot wound because they were already bleeding money at that point
0: yeah i mean it is it is a shame and it is such a shame that you know such great independent companies which you know have such a mixture of talent uh you know, um, at such a peak and then things happen and they, you know, dissolve into sort of, you know, history really. I mean, it's, um, and it could have been the same for, you know, Ring of Honor at certain points, but thankfully, you know, the fans have been there and to support Ring of Honor.
1: Consumers, this is the AirPod god and MLW star Richard Holiday. And you are not only listening to the Broken But Glorious Wrestling podcast, but you are momentarily breathing
0: rarefied air. Um, leading in, leading in from One PW into Ring of Honor, um, like at the time, how how did you actually get involved with, with Ring of Honor? And what was kind of your first uh, experience of Ring of Honor either as a fan or as an employee? Kind of where did the sort of love for the company originate from? Um uh, well, as a fan, I'd
1: always kept an eye on it um i i'm not going to say religiously you know bought the the tapes the dvds but i always kept tabs on um who was coming in and out because you know right after ring of honor started i started going to independent events locally here in pittsburgh as a fan so there was a lot of crossover as far as cm yeah. punk and cabana and guys like that who were making a name for themselves not just in you know my home company but but also starting into ring of honor bj whitmer guys like that um i I went to a ring of honor live event when they had come to pittsburgh for the first time it was january 2003 it was two weeks before my start in the business so i don't know if that's kind of serendipitous or not but um (laughs) so i guess the, the the journey's kind of in some way parallel each other um my first, uh, uh, and I always respected all the talent, and I respected, um, you know, uh, you know, Gabe Sapolsky had and has such a great eye for talent. Um, and everybody was presented in such an authentic and diverse way. Um, and it had that underground feel, and it, w- it really was, to me as a fan, it, it was that, that substitute for what ECW probably would have evolved into had it stayed in business. Um, especially with the influx of talent coming out of like, you know, the New York area and and things of that nature. Um, my first foray into Ring of Honor, um, it was late 2009 and, um, it was about three or four in the morning. Um, I was wide awake as you've already learned is, is in my nature. (laughs) Um, and I started getting random text messages from Jimmy Jacobs. Um, Jimmy did not even work for Ring of Honor at the time. I think he was in between runs. But uh, uh, Jimmy, I had known from Pittsburgh for a lot of years, and uh, this was this was post Gabe. This was the Adam Pierce era, and um, Dave Prezak did not have a regular commentary part because Lenny Leonard had left with Gabe and I think some of the wrestlers were helping out with Prezac and, of course, Prazak had Hogwood for the TV. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the straight-to-DVDs, I think, like, Chris Hero would sit in, Shane Hagedorn would sit in, whoever was was hanging around Philly, hanging around the office. There wasn't really a guy that was the the, the the color analyst or the play-by-play to Dave's color or whoever would shake out. So Jimmy Jacobs is texting me like, bro, you should hit up Ring of Honor and try to get booked there. and. Like 20 minutes later, I get a text message from Zach Gowan, who basically is saying the same thing. And I'm like, oh, that's right. They're roommates. They're watching the show together. So, you know, they're, they're, they're watching DVDs and they're telling me that I need to hit up the Ring of Honor office. And I tell them, like, I've tried. Um, I've sent them emails. I've said hello. I've sent them demos and I've never heard back. And no hard feelings, no heat. Like, that, that's the business, you know? It, yeah. It, no. The wrestling business, like any entertainment business, is a series of rejections, occasionally interrupted by work. So I totally get that if they're not looking for 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 someone like me. Um, Jimmy Jacobs went out of his way to contact Adam Pierce, uh, who was booking, and Kerry Silken, who who was the owner at the time, and between those conversations, got me booked to do a tryout. And next thing I know. Uh, Beginning of 2010, they are flying me out to their office in uh, Bristol, near Philadelphia, across the state, and I'm calling SoCal Showdown from California, and I'm calling the 8th anniversary event where Tyler Black won the world title from Austin Aries, um, in their studio with Dave Prezak, and getting paid to do it and yeah. having the time of my life and yeah um that started a great run throughout 2010 for me they they liked what they heard and as as long as that spot was was kind of there they seemed happy with my work and I was I was very very happy to be a part of it especially in in an era like that when you look back at some of that talent
0: absolutely I mean um that was where I first became no I noticed y- your work I mean. Um, especially sort of early 2010 and as you mentioned in 2009 um you know Dave was working a lot with Chris Hero and like you said my my friend Eric Santamaria who made the wrestling roundtable he did a few shows as well I remember Eric Eric Eric
1: Eric always Eric was uh was I think our audio editor he would sit there and kind of munch on his his uh his snacks while me and Dave just yelled (laughs) and made fools of ourselves and uh yeah, I remember, I haven't seen Eric, I think, since since 2010.
0: That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. So hopefully he's doing well, whatever he's up to. He is, yeah. I mean, I still keep in contact with him through the, became friends with him through the Wrestling Roundtable, and that was where I learned of his, you know, connections with Ring of Honor. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because Ring of Honor then, you know, through that time, I, as a fan, I was more interested as well in, learning more about the behind the scenes thing so that was where i became noticeable of your work and eric and dave and actually working one of my questions was what was it like working with dave Prazak? because i feel he was such a great color commentator he was so good at, at what he did and i mean his work with shimmer as well has been fantastic i mean was it fun working and playing off one another i feel you had great chemistry honestly like
1: if I had a a bucket list of, of wrestling announcers to work with at that point, um Dave would have been near the top of the list. He may have been the only quote unquote, you know, indie guy on on the excuse me, on the list if, if you want to uh, uh say him refer to him as such. Cause when I first started getting into wrestling, you know, the place kind of before Ring of Honor blew up was was IWA Mid South and Ian Rotten. And I would get the tapes of Punk and Hero having their 93 minute match and you know, Jimmy Jacobs and Alex Shelley doing their thing. And, you know, um, that was kind of kind of one of the it places to be. And and Dave was always on commentary. He was always informative and entertaining. And uh for my money, um, you know, he was the best independent wrestling announcer in the entire business. Um Present day probably still is up there, you know, Um, not that I watch a ton of independent wrestling uh, with all the work I do. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I have such respect for Dave and I really did enjoy the chemistry. I really did enjoy just bouncing off of his personality because um, in so many ways, like I was we both had energy, but it was like a different brand of energy. Like Dave was a little more seasoned and weathered, and I just came in like bright-eyed, ready to tackle the world, and that together, kind of bouncing off of each other, I, I thought really, um, really meshed well. I can remember, um, you know, just some of the, the 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 plays on words and some of the bits, and honestly, I, I had fun with them off camera too. Just like you know. Trading barbs about just our random notes on our format sheets or <laughs> you know, uh, hanging out back at the hotel after our VOs, like watching Raw or something like that. Like um big fan of Dave. I only see Dave like on WrestleMania weekends now. I'll run into him because he'll he'll run Shimmer down there and I'll be down there for WrestleCon. But uh always great to see Dave and and always entertaining, man. He there's nobody else I would have rather done Ring of Honor
0: with at the time than Dave Praise. No, I mean, I, I agree. I thought you were both great having, you know, that chemistry together. It was always great fun to listen to you. Um, and I also read recently in an interview um, that you had one of your early mentors in sort of announcing was former Ring of Honor announcer Jeff Gorman. And, what was it like actually working and being around Jeff? I mean, from his early experiences in Ring of Honor, he announced a few shows and he was sort of involved in the company. What was what's it like being around Jeff? And he's such an enthusiastic individual. What was what was that like? So enthusiastic, yeah. I, the nicest <laughs>
1: being, the nicest human being this side of Tracy Smothers is Jeff Corbin. Um, Jeff was another one of those situations where I watched him as a kid. You know, he was on local TV when I was 12 years old. The first independent wrestling TV show I ever watched in 1997, the announced team was Jeff Gorman and Drew Lazario. And Jeff Gorman went on to be my first announce partner and my first kind of mentor. And Drew Lazario went on to be Drew Lazar Chick and found Wildcat Belts. And he currently makes championships for WWE, and he made my welterweight championship. So, again, funny how life works out, and and how the wheel spins. Um, Jeff got paired with me because my introduction into wrestling in the wrestling business was bringing a local event, my home promotion IWC. Uh, I was a fan. I brought them to my high school when I was seventeen to do a fundraiser and yeah. um so i my first job in wrestling was was co-promoter so that, that i don't know if that's diving in head first <laughs> or not but that's that's pretty wild
2: um and co-host. we drew <laughs> yeah
1: so it's the same well, I mean, we, i'm a co-host <laughs> we we drew pretty well we did we did um we did good business the promoter was happy with it. the talent was happy with it and The promoter, you know, Norm Connors, who got me my start. I love Norm. He always likes to have local flavor on the events, you know, have a a teacher or a police officer or, you know, somebody as a guest referee or manager. I was underage, so legally I couldn't do anything physical, anything near a ring. Um, But I wanted to do commentary. And I don't remember if it was my idea or if it was Norm's idea, but I wound up doing most of the show with Jeff Gorman and... Um, let me tell you, when I got behind that camera and behind that microphone, I was terrible. I was just the drizzling shits. It was awful. Um, but Jeff Gorman was very patient. He was very kind. Jeff Gorman was nicer to me than I would have been to me if I met me today. Uh and I completely I completely mean that. I would have been a dick. I would have been, who are you and why are you here? Let me get my myself. myself. <laughs> um but (laughs) jeff was awesome um and because of the fact he was so giving and so complimentary of me to norm um when jeff had to take time away uh because his wife was giving birth and things of that nature um that gave me a chance to kind of slide in and and be a fill-in for a show or two and that's how it became a regular deal. And for um, a year and a half, the the trio was Jeff Gorman, myself, and Anthony Kingdom James. And um, for what we were, you know, I, I thought it was awesome because you had three very distinct voices. And, um, you know, you had uh, me kind of trying to be the Mike Tenet analyst. You had Jeff trying to be the lead and Kingdom just being, you know, just a loud uh, miscreant and you know mm-hmm. blowhard of a villain and did a masterful job of it um and constantly insult me on television um <laughs> but it worked you know like you can't do a three-man team when everybody sounds the same everybody has to have yeah. their different perspective different voice or else you've got a third wheel and for what it was for me being so green i worked for what it needed to and when jeff stepped away from the business um, after that year and a half to care for his family, I was kind of, sort of, almost about ready to to be in the lead chair. And that, you know, gave me the room to kind of do the rest of my growing up. But a- as cockstrung as I was from right out of the gate, without Jeff there to kind of, you know, be the, the, the anchor, so to speak. Um, again, I don't know if I would have been able to develop as well as I did as fast as I did. That's one of those guys that's too nice for the wrestling business. Like, you look at him and, like, how did you wind up here with us misfits (laughs) and derelicts and degenerates and just dregs of society? Like, you have a family. (laughs) You, like, you're happy. You don't need therapy. Like, run. Just run away. But I I love the guy. I haven't seen him in five years. Man, you're making me feel sentimental right now.
0: (laughs) That's the that's the whole thing, you know, we want people to look at the past, present and future of honour, which we will discuss later on, as we said off air. And it's actually quite a nice feed into this because one of the first, another one of the big thing or big events you kind of took the lead for after all that experience and were part of a three-match team, sorry, three-announced um, team was uh, Death Before Dishonour 8 in 2010 in uh, Toronto. Um, what was it like calling that map, that show live with Dave, and then later on for the main event with Jim Cornette? I mean, that must have been such a wonderful experience to call. Um,
1: leading into it, giant ball of stress. Um, <laughs> giant ball of stress. Uh, Is at that point they had brought in Kevin Kelly to do the pay per views, but Kevin couldn't make it. Um, so I got the call kind of last minute not super last minute i think maybe a couple weeks out um wasn't worried about dave i, I knew me and dave were solid um i don't remember when i found out uh about cornet i just remember thinking like i guess in the back of my mind was we're live like, i'd never been live like I, today uh-huh. i like, Like today, I'm live every two weeks. Like it doesn't matter, you know. Like I'm live once a month in Pittsburgh. I'm live anytime I do, um, you know, Ring of Honor, or at least it's live to tape. Uh, I'm live for, you know, uh, Prestige in Portland. So many things I do are just going out streaming as it happens. But at that point, I don't think I'd ever been live for anything. So that was kind of in the back of my mind, and it's like, I never do retakes anyway, so it shouldn't affect me. Just don't, like, you know, trip up and start yelling the F word or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember when I found out about cornet, but, but I, I, I do remember, you know, I talked about the energy of the crowd in Doncaster, England, and just how deafening they could be and how great it was to feed off of it. Um, I felt the exact same way ringside at Death Before Dishonor because that was Toronto. And Toronto is one yeah. of the best cities in the world. And I remember, I don't remember what match it was. It was probably pretty early in the night. I just had like a moment of pause where it's like, I haven't felt like this since Doncaster because the, the people are literally on top of you. They're making so much noise, you can barely hear yourself. And especially to go from the, the, the dichotomy of doing voiceovers in literally a empty room. Um, it was me. It was Dave. It was Eric. It was, you know, maybe Hagedorn or somebody working on the phones and on merch orders. And, and that was it. There was no organic energy to feed off of. doing yeah. the shows. I had to teach myself how to kind of recreate that. Um, but to be in the middle of it all in Toronto was such a rush. And, um, again, you know, making me feel all sentimental, but it's one of my favorite events to this day. Um, and to work with Jim Cornette, um, honor, privilege, Jim Cornette is somebody, again, I grew up watching, looking up to, uh, wanting to emulate, um, as far as just, you know, how smoothly and, and how smoothly he talks, how quickly he can come up with something, how he can tell a story and make you feel something um, and make it seem so effortless. Um, And, you know, to this day, I I think I'm the only person left in wrestling Jim Cornette doesn't hate. Uh, (laughs) Pretty proud of. Doesn't hate yet, I should say. Um, I, here's the thing with Jim. I think he has so much knowledge um And so many valid points and so much education to pass on to the next generation, but he is so aggressive and defiant and confrontational about his approach that even if he's 100% right, the other side's going to go, whoa and they're going to feel attacked and defensive. And when you feel defensive, it's human nature that you're going to want to fight back. So, um, I, I dislike the 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 conflict that comes with that, instead of, you know, well, okay, here's five things I absolutely hate, but here's five things you did well. Instead, it's, let's blow up Lucha Underground Temple, let's watch this guy bleed yeah. to death, and... <laughs> All this stuff that comes out of his mouth—that—that that I get the passion and the anger and where it comes from. But it's, especially in this day and age, it's not—it's not the best way to reach people. And to me, yeah, I've booked shows, I've run locker rooms, nowhere near the scale or experience of Jim Cornette. I'm not trying to put myself on, on any kind of a pedestal. But one thing I pride myself in is. You have to at least attempt to be able to to communicate with everybody. You have to be yeah. able to communicate with the, the the guy who's standing right next to you, and he's wide eyed, he's energetic, and he's ready to do anything. And you have to also communicate with the guy sitting in the corner that's just like, yeah, whatever, man. You got you have yeah. to cover all those bases. And um, I was uh, I was there when Jim had his meltdown. In 2011, and 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 left mm-hmm. the company, and um, it was awkward. It was uncomfortable, and it's you know, in some ways, you know, uh, you know, it's Cornette being Cornette, ha, ha ha. But at the same time, it's just you know, it's it's just not the best approach. So, I put that qualifier there when I say great things about Jim Cornette, because I, I judge Jim and how he's treated me, and he's he's been great with me, and he time we've worked together professionally, anytime I've seen him at a convention, he's had good things to say about my work. I am entertained by a lot of things on his podcasts, um, And, you know, that night um, in Toronto, sadly, I'll never work with Bobby Heenan. But um, if I was going to make uh, an all-time list, I, I, I would probably put Jim Cornette number two on that list. So um, that meant a ton. Uh, to be able to do that, and yeah, Death Before Dishonor will always be one of my favorite
0: events. Absolutely. As a fan, I remember at the time collecting the Ring of Honor DVD, still still do, and that particular event was one I just needed to get ASAP to see David Richards versus Tyler Black, the way it had been built up, the way it had been promoted, and as a fan watching that match, it was absolutely phenomenal on screen i mean i vividly remember seeing you dave and jim in the corner of the uh, uh, the corner of the ring uh, you know by the apron seeing all first hand and hearing jim's enthusiasm for what he was seeing calling it the second coming of steamboat and flair and you know the it must have been so i mean because it is one of my as this is kind of my questions it is one of my favorite matches in ring of honor history how did it actually feel having the privilege to call that historic bout in ring of honor world title you know the the history of the title basically
1: i mean you, you knew it was something special and you know that match may be maybe the most famous match that i've ever called i remember it finishing you know it was second or third maybe on the match of the year ballots for for the wrestling observer that year yeah. i think Um, it it was very, very highly talked about. And and at that point, I think that was Ring of Honor's uh, biggest pay-per-view to date as well. And uh, and I'm happy you brought up the, you know, Cornette loved it. Um, Anybody that thinks that Jim Cornette only likes wrestling from 1975, that's not true. Um, He did enjoy that match very much. Uh, He was a big fan of both guys, Davey and Tyler. Um, But yeah, again, it just goes back to The energy from the audience and just how much the competitors, the athletes in the ring were were giving um, to you, not just from uh, uh, effort and and, and emotion, but, you know, story and physical exertion. I I don't remember how long the match went, but it didn't feel long at all um, (laughs) because they they kept you enthralled. Um, So, yeah, anytime people would ask me. Uh, my favorite ring of honor matches that would be you know top three top five on the list it definitely stands out as as something special
0: absolutely um it was just one of those matches where it just blew me away to watch on the screen and just having the opportunity to be sat there I, you know talking about opportunities what you would give you know anything for that would have been one of those matches if i could have called it that's what I would have wanted to have called firsthand. It just looked wonderful to watch. Um, in relation to Tyler as well, you did mention that you called his world title win at the 8th anniversary show after he'd been wanting the title the past year against Austin Aries. And then you actually called the match he lost the title to Roderick Strong at Gloria by and 9. So you can't, and then throughout 2010, you were seeing his various matches against various opponents and the defences he had was it enjoyable to see kind of a ring of honor world title reign from start to finish? And especially with Tyler being so talented, was that a fun thing to experience as an announcer? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I, you knew
1: Tyler was the guy at that point. He had all the tools, even though he was still incredibly young. Um, you know, he, he was and, and, and would be, of course, um, for many years to come, something very, very special. Um, and that was just, you know, happy accident that, that it happened that way that uh, I was able to, to kind of be along for that ride. But, I mean, top to bottom, I mean, you look at the, the Steam Generico feud, you look at the run of the Kings of Wrestling and the Briscoes and the Motor City Machine Guns. I mean, there were so many people in that roster that, that were firing on all cylinders. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's funny you mentioned kind of, kind of start to finish on that title reign. Um, if I recall correctly, um I did glory by honor, but I didn't call that main event match because I had to give nah. up by my mic to Cornette and Kevin Kelly called the uh, the Roderick Strong uh, Tyler Black match. I had to go fight live, only had two mics, so I had to do a trade-off. But uh but I remember watching I remember watching from um uh, not a balcony, but watching from from off to the side where some of the talent was and Seeing Homicide make his return at the end of that, and that was a very cool moment too. Uh, um, but yeah, that that was my first uh, that was my first time in New York City. So another another really uh, really cool important milestone that uh, I'm glad I got to experience through ROH. Yeah,
0: definitely um, another historic, incredible show, Gloria, by on the nine. Um, you know, I mean. You actually, as you mentioned earlier, had the opportunity to call the show with Kevin Kelly. Um, I mean, there's a couple of questions I do have. But first of all, what was it like working alongside Kevin, who, you know, had, at that point, he'd just become the recent, as you said, the main announcing recruit for Ring of Honor with their live pay per views and things. What was it like working with Kevin?
1: Uh, it was great. I, I Kevin and I had actually been friends before, uh, before either of us were in Ring of Honor. Um, I had connected with him online a few years prior, um, just in a sense of networking and, you know, Hey, can you check out some of my work? And, uh, when Kevin wasn't in the business, he would do, um, trade shows. And there were certain times where he would be passing through, uh, Pittsburgh, um, for completely non-wrestling reasons. And, you know, he'd ask me what I was up to, and oh, I've got a you know I got a show down the road. And Kevin would pop in and and work a little bit with me. There's um, a couple events that that hardly anybody has ever heard with me and Kevin Kelly from about yeah. you know, 2008 or nine that I probably have buried around here somewhere. And it was actually our first oh, time working. Wow! With so yeah, so um, that helped us have a little bit of a comfort with each other and a little bit of an understanding of what you know each other's style is. Um, Working with Kevin is is great as well because you get an extra element of commentary that you don't get from guys that do things on an independent level because uh, guys like Kevin and Matt Stryker, who I've had a chance to learn a lot from in later years as well, will think about things like, all right, um, you're talking too much. Turn that into a soundbite. Okay, this is when to lay out and let the audience tell the story for you. Um, This is when to let the moment breathe. Um, You know, this is when we need to count down out of a package. Um, Things like that 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 I don't get on the indies when it's just, all right, here's the show. Here's your mic. Go nuts. Um, And the rest is pretty much left to me and they posted it around me. But Kevin um, had the experience of going live. He had the experience of going, obviously, uh, on a worldwide scale and um, understanding the directing traffic part of the job, because when you're doing play-by-play, yeah. play, depending on where you are, sometimes calling the match is your least important of your your responsibilities. You got to just direct traffic and make sure you're you know you're you're finding your marks of what you need to hit at a certain point. And working with Kevin uh, helped open my eyes to that and ease me into that process as well, and then continue to help my growth and development. So I, I think the difficult part of working with Kevin is is a lot of times we have a similar role you know there's really no dissenting voice like me with prazak or kevin with carino um and i think in a lot of ways that maybe kept our chemistry from being what it absolutely could have been um yeah just because we're too similar um you know it's it's people ask me like uh, uh oh wouldn't you want to work with jim ross like Yes, I would, but he wouldn't be my main choice because me and Jim Ross both do the same thing. Jim Ross does it way, 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 way better, mm-hmm. but we both ostensibly accomplish the same role. So I'd rather work with a Bobby Heenan or a Jim Cornette or a Paul Heyman or a Mark Madden or Matt Stryker or whoever. Um, but Jr. would be the best to learn from. I, I learned more from Jr. answering one of my emails, you know, seven years ago than I did in probably my first, you know, five years in the business. Just, um he's just so knowledgeable, but um, yeah, and I'm sure Kevin learned a ton from him as well. And Kevin could pass that down to me. So uh, nothing but love for Kevin and I'm happy he's doing so well in New Japan right now.
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, it was kind of, for me with Kevin, I'd always seen him as the backstage announcer at that point in degree and heard the occasional, you know, show he called. And when he did come to Ring of Honor, it was always exciting to see, hear someone, you know, kind of get a second wind in a way and a second life and being able to hear him what he was able to do behind the mic, especially in Ring of Honor, being calling in these great matches and his knowledge of the wrestlers and the talent was always, you know, top notch. And the, ma- the matches you called together for Glory by Honor 9 were, Sensational. I mean, one of the big events, what happened at on the 9, was that Charlie Hosson, Shennel and Benjamin, the uh, world's greatest, wrestling's greatest tag team, actually debuted and faced the Kings of Wrestling in the semi-main event. Um, and that was a match which was the crowd went crazy for on screen. I mean, again, that must have been such a thrill to see firsthand, you know, those four going at it at the peak, you may say.
1: Without a doubt, yeah, I'd, I'd worked with Charlie a little bit in one PW, so so you know I had a little bit of a, 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 a you know a business relationship with him to some extent, as much as you can get with a weekend. But uh, I'd never met Shelton before, um, and you know you talk about um, Kevin having renewed life, you know after getting kind of uh, you know. Probably a a bad break or two up in Stamford. Haas and Benjamin as well. Like, if there was a tag team that that, would have fit in better with that style or that tag team division at the time, I I couldn't name it. Um, And, again, New York is a lot like Toronto in the sense of when that audience is is jacked and rocking. I mean, if if you can't feed off of them, then then you don't have a pulse. So, Yeah. we were just talking about my favorite matches. Like if I'm making a top three or top five, Davy and Tyler's on the list, and Kings of Wrestling and Haas and Benjamin are probably on that list too. It just it felt big. It felt special. And Hero and Claudio had such a run throughout that entire year that it felt like you needed something big to come in and slap them in the face. And lo and behold,
0: we had one. <laughs> yeah, I mean that run was something else and you know the other big thing which took place at Gloria Bioner 9 was the double chain match which was between uh, Steve Carino and Kevin Steen facing uh, Colt Cabana and uh, El Generico I mean the whole feud itself between Steen and Generico throughout 2010 as we just mentioned was unbelievably told, and that match in particular out of all the matches, including the fight without honour, I feel that one was the most violent in the sense that it was I've, from... I've never seen a double, cha- double chain match in that way it was done. And I bet being at ringside, I mean, I, I, the actual sort of spilling of the blood and then the taking of the mask and the story progression must have been, again, a very special thing to be able to call the majority of that as it happened, you know I mean? What are thoughts on, on that particular match and the feud? That feud as a whole was my favorite part uh, of my first run with Ring of Honor.
1: You, You talk about the emotion and the story and just watching, watching El Generico's journey from, from not wanting to fight his best friend into being forced to, and into, you know, finally being just, just pushed over the edge. Um, Just such a great, you know, step-by-step build and step-by-step process to take us there. And meanwhile, Kevin Steen gets more and more just into the muck of of just a disgusting, depraved individual manipulated by Steve Carino. And I I loved watching that story unfold. It had so much, you know, I mean, wrestling's best when, when you can relate to it on an emotional level. And I think everybody can relate to feeling like they were betrayed by a friend or feeling like a friend let them down. And um, in their own unique way, both Kevin and Generico had that point of view. Um, Kevin a lot more warped and psychotic and Generico a lot more sympathetic, but um, that in itself can just draw you in. Cause you knew how close they were and you knew um, what they were able to do as a team. And, that chemistry bled over into their matches against each other, without a doubt. Um, my most vivid memory of the Dog Collar match, the chain match, was um, the pay-per-view feed cutting. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I can remember. I don't think we had headsets, but I think like a runner had gotten word to us. Like midway through the match, that um, the live feed cut. They're working on it. Keep going. Um, and this was, you know, this was back when, uh, you know, pre Sinclair and pre fight TV. Yeah. Everything was was through Go Fight Live. Who, let's say, we're hit and miss on that. It's <laughs> um, Dave Prazak had a different set of. Uh, uh, what the initials GFL stood for that I won't say on the air, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it it um worked out okay. You know, it was just a few minute lag and then, then the show was back up. But uh, that was the first time I'd experienced that. Like, well, what do we do, you know? Um, but it turned
0: out being fine. Uh, Colby
1: was involved in that match too, right?
0: Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, he I, he I came feel- into the... I feel
1: so yeah. old when Colby does anything, because um, <laughs> when I met him, he was like what seven, six, nine. He was in he was in single digits in age when I met him in one PW. Wow. and like now I now I just see him on the road. He's wrestling on shows I'm on. He's got a kid, um, you know. Like I I I negotiate you know bookings with him. Like hey, come work for me, and I'm you know like it, like in my head like i'm i'm still 20 years old you know how did how did Cole become you know a 20 year old 22 year old whatever he is kid like it it it's so wild to to see but i'm i'm proud of him for getting his life together and um you know following his passion and doing right for his family um but yeah that that whole feud and all those twists and turns and uh Steve was so great as the evil genius Steve Carino. Cabana was so great as the uh you know, the supporter friend. I just
0: yeah, all the pieces of that puzzle came together just so well. Yeah, it um, was a roller coaster to watch at the time, and the whole journey from start to finish was a beautiful, beautifully told story. One 2010 Feud the Year as well with the Wrestling Observer, and it rightly deserved to do it, I believe. You know, nothing touched yeah. it in 2010. Um so then from around 2000 and 10 into 2011 we had ring of honor kind of as we know was purchased by sinclair um the um company was in a lot of financial had a lot of financial issues um uh, behind the scenes um and in regard to to you and your role did you kind of went off radar a little bit with ring of honor i mean were you expecting that to happen or was it one of those things which came out of the blue. What what kind of led to the you know lead into Sinclair? Um it came out of the blue
1: for me, but I mean in hindsight, I certainly understand the decision. Um at that point Ring of Honor had three separate announce teams. You had myself and Dave as the DVD announcers. You had Kevin Kelly and Dave as the pay per view announcers, and you had Dave Prazak and uh, Mike Hogwood slap the porpoise on uh, mm-hmm. TV on HDNet. And I-, I think the administration had decided it would be better and more uniform for the product to have one set pair of voices. And um, that kind of lined up with the Sinclair sale. And of course, You know, we know that by the time that process was said and done, that pair was Kevin Kelly and Nigel McGuinness. So that evaporated the need for myself, for Hogwood, for, you know, Prazek, I think, left shortly after me. Um, All the kind of ancillary guys, Hagedorns and Santa Marias that would do the the, the occasional cameos. Um, And you know what? Hey, if I'm going to be replaced, replace me with one of the best you know, um, and that's Kevin. So it it was a blow to my ego and it was a blow to just me personally, like, ah, I made all this progress and now I'm, you know, kind of back at at square one as far as just, you know, breaking in on a national level. Um, but like, you know, no hard feelings. There were a lot of changes and transitions in the company as you kind of touched on. And even back then I thought to myself, you know, how many times, you know, have I almost made it in wrestling? How many times have there been ebb and flow? <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be back. It just comes down to when they need. It's not like, you know, it's it's not like um, if I was a wrestler and there's 35 spots on a show, you only need one play-by-play guy. So, yeah. if, if Kevin's your guy, kick ass with Kevin because Kevin Kevin's what they needed at the time because they were trying to court a new mainstream audience and they needed a familiar voice people could trust. And that was Kevin. So yeah. I, I was a hundred percent on board with that when I was able to, you know, step back and look at it objectively, but of course, you know, selfishly, ah, I wish it were me, but you know, th- that, I mean, that's the way it works. Um, but uh, you know, like I was telling you off air, you know, you, you always have something in the back pocket, have another opportunity, have another project to, to put in the fire. And um, wrestling is a lot of luck. It's a lot of timing and it's a little bit of ability too. so When the time is right, uh, I'll be back.
0: And until then,
1: you know, Kevin did a hell of a job.
0: He he absolutely did. And him and Nigel were such a, as you pointed out, it really was a time when they did need that mainstream um, sort of appeal to get the fans invested in the, you know, TV deal, which came along. And him and Nigel, I mean, Nigel himself is such an incredible talker as well. And being British, he was my... My guy, my guy, you know, Ring of Honour, um, you know, world champion and just all around legend. Seeing now in WWE and what he's doing in NXT and things, such a great announcer. Um, out of interest, just on that note, did you actually call any of Nigel's matches? I don't I don't know if he did in Ring of Honour, but um, in his career at all, did you call any of his matches or have any dealings with Nigel at all um, during his time in Ring of Honour?
1: Well, I, I had missed Nigel's in-ring run by, I think, three months. I think it was September 09 oh, wow. him, him and Danielson both left in September of 09 and I came in for yeah. January of 2010. So I, I I missed them by three months. I, I called a few of Nigel's matches uh, in Pittsburgh for IWC, in Cleveland for Cleveland All-Pro. And, of course, I'd run into him from time to time um, when I would uh, fill in for Kevin Kelly in, like, 2013 or 14, and Nigel was the... Uh, you know, the authority figure at that point. Um, I didn't know Nigel really well, but um, again, you know, passion is kind of the word of this interview, but you you could sense that in him and um, a true student of the game. I've had a chance to get close in recent years with Les Thatcher, who had a huge hand in training Nigel in Cincinnati and, and helping develop him. And Les always speaks so glowingly of Nigel and can be a bit tough to please sometimes so um you know to to get that endorsement is always a great thing but yeah i I mean nigel's somebody who you know again we've talked about just being different standing out and at that point in the u.s indies there was really nobody bringing that that british that european style and it was a lot more matte based and technically based and you know, the flyers and, and and the flippy guys are always gonna bring the eyeballs and always gonna get the oohs and the ahs, but you know what, you need those guys to to kind of supplement that and to bring the ground and pound and bring that technical wizardry that a Nigel McGuinness and a Matt Stryker and an Alex Shelley and all those guys, Doug Williams, and all those different guys can do. And, uh, yeah, I, again, nothing but positive things to say about my time with Nigel. Uh, every match I called with him was, uh, you know, a show stealer. And uh, every time I met him, he was a gentleman.
0: Absolutely. British British gentleman to the uh, to the car. Great guy. Um, so, it, as we mentioned, um, you did actually – Come back to Ring of Honor, and as you are now, um, in 2013, um, I was looking online. The first show you um you called, I believe, was Relentless, which you called alongside Steve Carino. Um, what was it like working with Steve, and also coming into Ring of Honor for a second time? What led into that, and being part of the Sinclair era, which we're in now, Ring of Honor? Did it? Does it feel different? Does it feel um have a different vibe? What was that like? Um.
1: Really every time I've come back after a little bit of an absence, it feels bigger. It feels a little bit more professionally run. It feels a little bit, you know, slicker and sleeker. Um, it, it's a growing process. You know, Ring of Honor is constantly in an evolution and constantly looking to get bigger and better in every facet, not just in, in the on-camera product, but behind the scenes in administration and staffing and, you know, everything they do. So um, it's been really fun to see Ring of Honor grow uh, into what it is today. And it's, it's still growing present day. Um, you know, I, I even though I, I wasn't working there for a couple of years, I've always considered myself part of the extended family. I've always kind of kept in touch with the office and always kept in touch with Kevin Kelly. And, you know, Kevin had always told me, you know, if I ever can't make an event. Um, I would trust you to, to fill the void. And I forget what the situation was. And again, you know, when I say that, that wrestling is a lot of luck and timing, I, I could write a book of just specifically that in my career. Um, the, so I, when I came back for Relentless, that was in Richmond, Virginia, I believe. Um, the week before, they were in Pittsburgh, my hometown. And any time they were in Pittsburgh, I always popped in and said hello and, you know, hey, is there anything I can do? And, you know, that's how I wound up. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is where, you know, Cornette's last event was. And Pittsburgh is where uh, this particular live event was in, in 2013. And I remember I was sitting with the extras and the ring crew and kind of the local guys that were there helping out. I knew, I knew them all from the independents. And I was just talking to them and just kind of relaxing, and Kevin walked up to me and said, uh, hey, would you like to call television next week? Hmm. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, Kevin Kevin couldn't make um, Kevin couldn't make the, the next week's uh, Road Rage taping in, in Richmond, and he was talking with the front office there, like, oh, what are we going to do? Should we voice over it? Oh, wait a minute, Joe's here. And... <laughs> From what from what Kevin said, he mentioned my name, and and the the member of the office he was talking, his eyes just lit up like yes, um, ah. they talked to me, and it was it was ink. I was like, thankfully, like everybody's always dug my work, like I never you know fell out of favor with anybody. It was just you know nothing for you, move on. Um, yeah, but you know on this occasion there was something for me, and I jumped at the opportunity. You know that this was my mainstream tv debut it was my first time working with steve in this role and talk about chemistry man steve is such a great foil he's such a great villain He, he knows when to bring comedy he knows when to be serious he knows when to get heat um he knows when to be informative and um steve's one of my favorite color guys i've ever worked with um Anytime I was with Steve, it felt like a night off because I knew I knew I can count on him to be where I needed him to be, where um, he's there with the counterpoint or he's there with the joke. Or if there's something I missed because he called a TV that didn't air yet and I didn't see it, he can jump in with that fact. Um, But yeah, that that was that was so much fun. Um, And I got to do the main event with uh, Mark Briscoe. Yes. Main yeah. Event that was going um, B.J. Whitmer. I remember B.J. Yes. falling head first to a table and scaring the hell out of me. Um, As he often did. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but yeah, just uh, so much fun. Such a, a, a burst of adrenaline. It's like, yeah, man, I, I'm back, you know. Um, and I knew I knew it wasn't going to be a regular gig. I knew it was going to be a one off. But like, my name is back in people's minds. Like they they got a reminder of what I can do. And all I got all I can do is be ready for the next opportunity. And and that's how I played it. You know, Kevin always kept in touch and Kevin always said, like, hey, keep these dates open. I'm not sure yet, but I might have you know, something else going on. And I'd always like kind of pencil it and sometimes it would come to fruition, sometimes it wouldn't, but um you know, I was always that go-to guy and I was very appreciative that, uh, even as the company continued to grow and become more corporate and mainstream, they still trusted me and remembered me that, that I could carry that ball, even if it was just for a night or two.
0: Yeah. Um, it was great to hear you back on commentary and it was great to see you back in Ring of Honor after all that time. Um, it was like a trip down memory real angel, and uh, I heard I heard you back on the uh, back in commentary. It was great, and as you hey, mentioned, I'm not ready for Steve the nostalgia was...
1: run yet, man. Let's not go with that. <laughs> that
0: the no. um, you know, you and Steve were great as well. You know, Steve's such a great color commentator. Um, so the next kind of big thing which you were part of was the Field of Honor, which was the outdoor event um, which took place in the MCU Park. And what was it like, kind of calling that show? I mean, it must have been unique calling a show which took place in a in a baseball stadium, as opposed to a you know an arena, and you know the um, sort of spectacle as well of being in the arena, at the uh, base uh, stadium. Sorry, what was that like? Yeah, that
1: was fun, man. I remember I I, I did a live event um, for Ring of Honor the previous month in Cincinnati, and then. Uh, I, I, did, I did Brooklyn for Field of Honor, and um, I was never a baseball guy. So, like, uh, Steve was a kid in a candy store being in a baseball stadium and, you know, putting on the whole uniform and the garb and everything. And, you know, I, I'm a hockey guy, man. I can't really relate. But um, just the ambiance of the outdoor um, environment and such a huge crowd because I, if I recall correctly, that used to be a sold show for TNA, and then whatever happened to bungle that deal, and, and then Ring of Honor was able to pick it up. Um, and the crowds were big, um, you know, probably a, you know a fair amount of Ring of Honor regular fans and a fair amount of new fans you could expose, and you know it was different because. The crowd was entirely on the other side of the ring of me, so I couldn't really feed off of them as well. But at the same time, just, you know, you think about so many historic events that have happened in kind of an outdoor stadium environment whether it's a wrestlemania or the old world class shows at texas stadium or the great american bash tour whatever example you want to uh, uh, name it just it had kind of that old school feel to it where yeah. it was special and it was big and you had the cage match with um with uh, Taven and lethal you had um the uh, main event, Jay Briscoe and and Elgin and Adam Cole and AJ Styles. That's one of my favorite matches. Um, yeah, man. Just again, top to bottom, happy to be a part of it. It was different. It was unique, and it was a chance to again show I could I could no pun intended, but I, I could hit a home run on a big scale but also still have fun with it because it's, it's a theme night and it's a little more relaxed and a little less, you know, blood feud driven in certain elements. But um, yeah, man, again, just, just a great time, great experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I was actually going to ask what you thought of that, that main event between those four guys. I mean, it must've been incredible to see, you know, when, all four of those, the, the star spectacle of seeing all four of those guys in the ring at once must have been crazy. And AJ, especially given that he'd just come out of the TNA deal and then he was in New Japan and he was on his second sort of uh, coming, really, to what he was going to tear it up then in Ring of Honor and in New Japan. he worked the dual dates. I mean, that must have been Again, such a fun thing to experience, AJ coming out and, you know, making his big return in the big arena. Um, what was that like? Yeah, and, and I had, I, had, I knew AJ reasonably well
1: because we'd been on events off and on for the past decade. And I had just wrapped shooting uh, my DVD, AJ Styles, The Missing Matches, with him uh, the previous April. We, we did it one night in a hotel room. Um, after uh, one of the IWC events. So it's always great to see AJ. Again, a gentleman. I, I remember getting to, to to pick up the IWGP championship for just a split second. Man, that thing's heavy. <laughs> um, it looks so great, so beautiful. Um, I, I, I love all those guys. I, I especially – I love working with Adam Cole. Adam Cole is another class act who – Always uh, appreciated my job, which in turn made me appreciate him even more. Um, Adam Cole would always feed me, you know, sound bites and little nuggets of information. And he'd he'd always have a kind word or two, and I'd always be sure to reciprocate. Um, Adam Cole once told me something I thought was absolutely brilliant. He said that uh, when he was a young wrestler, he would teach himself timing. By imagining Jim Ross calling his match in his head. And oh wow. Well, well, this is the part where Jim Ross would say this, I better stay over here for another second. You know, and it would help him not uh-huh. rush through anything he was doing. And I thought that was such a brilliant thing to do. And it, it it helps the storytelling. And, you know, young Adam Cole probably didn't realize just the nuances of what that meant, but that's, you know, that's that's it's feeling the moment in, in one sense or another. And I always told Adam Cole, man, I would love to be the JRD or Steve Austin. And I'm, I'm thankful <laughs> we had to do it. You know, we had a chance to do it the few times that we did. because um, one of my absolute favorite people again. And I'll say this, I predicted for a lot of years that Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano will headline a WrestleMania one day. They already headlined a WrestleMania takeover. So I figure I'm halfway there.
0: Absolutely. Um, Adam Cole, just an incredible, another incredible talent you know I mean I keep using the word incredible a lot during this interview but one of those guys who I followed from his early years in Ring of Honor and seeing him grow now to where he is in WWE along with you know Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong and Johnny who was part of Evolve and it's just a thrill to see them so um, successful you know when they put their work in and so I mean that's such a wonderful thing to learn as well that you know I mean for those people who might be listening to this and wanting to go into announcing or are interested in it, like, just off-topic slightly from Ring of Honour, but when you are sort of getting in those early sort of years of announcing, what kind of makes a match, what do you look for when you're calling a match, Joe? What kind of is the thing? What are you looking for? Are you looking at it instantaneously? Are you kind of have a bit of knowledge beforehand to help? Like, kind of, how are you working that on a... You know, on a headset, how does that come about?
1: What I look for every time I call a match is, um, first of all, you know, what's what's the business? What are we accomplishing? What story are we telling? Um, and what is the objective of each individual personality in the match? If I can't get inside the head of these athletes as personalities or characters or whatever, verbiage you want to use, um, and bring out, you know, um, uh, not just who, but what, where, when, why, and how, um, that's what matters. You know, anybody can sit there and just call moves. And there've been so many times that I've watched an independent match and 45 seconds into the match, you know, the announcer saying, man, Really good-looking side headlock there. You've lost me already. I I don't care. Um, Because if that's what you're telling me, you already have run out of things to say. Um, Why is he doing this side headlock? Why is he in the match? What is he hoping to gain from this? What happened last week that made this match happen? What do both of these guys hope to do next week if they win tonight? Is there a blood feud? Why is there a blood feud? Why do they hate each other? Um, What's the strategy? um you know what's what's the facial reactions um that guy just left the ring why uh, that guy's limping why um i assume that whoever's listening to me has not watched the product before and i don't want to dumb everything down and, and and tiptoe them through it and spoon feed them like this is this guy's name but i do want to give them enough To where if they have not watched before, they can jump on and understand what's happening. Um, Because every show is somebody's first independent event. And one knock I have on some announcers is they will talk over the head of their audience. They will try to get too fancy as far as let's call this move by its Spanish name or its Japanese name or You know, let's um, just assume that everybody knows this guy's history and not even get into it. Um, Things of that nature. Um, You don't want to treat your audience like they're stupid, but you do want to cater to everybody where everybody can be along for the ride. And um, if I can enhance that, if I can bring out another element or dimension of that match where, man, I get it now, man, I understand it. You know, I, I need to be, as JR would say, I need to be the lyrics to the music that they're playing. Yeah. And sometimes I've got a match that's had a, a year long of history and I got a ton to play off of. Sometimes it's just the second match on the card and it got made 15 minutes before doors open. And I've just <laughs> got to get out of it when I can. You know, it, it depends. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't call that. 12-month blood feud the same way I would call the match that just got made 15 minutes ago. It it depends on circumstances. you got to have your ebb and flow. Um, But what can I get out of the match to where everybody comes out of that match better than they went in? That's my goal. Do I always accomplish it? No. But if I'm doing my job, I make sure everybody can get out of there saving face with a direction hopefully with the fans asking what's next
0: and with uh, an
1: audience that is willing to stick around and find out
0: definitely um like i said i always loved your always love your announcing always love the knowledge but also the fact like you said that you are very to the point yet you know fun to listen to you don't try and you know patronize the audience you don't try and bring any negativity you're always really enthusiastic, so it does come into that. And it is always one of those things. What's intrigued me about wrestling and announcing is how that actually works for different announcers, and it was interesting that I have I've heard how announcers can have such an influence on a wrestler's um, performance as well. So it was interesting to you know find out a little bit more there as well about um, how you look at a match and things. Uh, So one of the other big historic matches which you were part of announcing was uh, Michael Elgin against the returning Samoa Joe back in 2015. Um, It was the first time Joe had been back in Ring of Honour since 2008 um, after he'd left Impact Wrestling. Um, And it was a big surprise and shock when he did return. And seeing him back in Ring of Honour and calling that match must have been another spectacle to see firsthand. So what was that like?
1: Yeah, Joe's another guy that, that I went, you know, not not that we were super close or anything, but I went back with him, you know, a decade from IWC, from 1PW. So we had this familiarity with each other. And I'd never worked with him in Ring of Honor before, obviously. So um, to be able to do so, especially in a city like Chicago, which, again, I mean, we're hitting all the top wrestling cities with these stories, but um, the Chicago crowd was, was so electric for him. Um, the whole weekend, Milwaukee and Chicago, I remember, um, you know, uh, Milwaukee was red hot for Jay Briscoe. I remember, um, Joe and ACH and the Milwaukee event. I remember a wild street fight with, I think, uh, was it lethal and Cliff Compton in Chicago? Um, just, a, a ton of, um. Again, just a hungry roster. Um, Matt Seidel I had a chance to do some commentary with because he was injured. Mm. Um, but, yeah, again, a situation where Michael Elgin had been built up as that era's unstoppable monster, and Samoa Joe was, you know, his reputation preceded him. So, um, another happy accident, you know, Kevin Kelly was wherever he was. Maybe I slashed his tires. Maybe I didn't. I can't confirm <laughs> But I had the opportunity to step in and um, yeah man just such a blast like at this point I was telling people that I was I was I was on that undertaker schedule you know I just come in for the two dates a year <laughs> um, so I just got to make the most of my shots man but but I did but every time I came in um. I think at one point, like, uh, Carino on the air even credited me for for having some kind of, like, obscure statistical information. You could just hear me under my breath go, "Stephen I've had a year and a half to prepare for this event. I know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I, I appreciate any time. It, it was like Christmas, you know, to get back into that chair anytime I could. And, it, and I think... You know, one of the things that helped it be so enthusiastic and, and helped me do so well is that it was special for me. It wasn't an every week kind of a grind, but it was a, a chance for me a couple of times a year to step in and just a loud, raucous environment and just pour my heart and soul out. And, you know, thankfully, every event I did was, um, you know, top to bottom, pretty much,
0: you know, a high quality event that, that was so easy for me to feed off of. Yeah. Um, that whole weekend was great to watch, you know, Samoa Joe coming back to his, you know, his roots in Ring of Honor and had those great matches. And like you said, Elgin at that point had won the world title and he had been, you know, built up as the sort of Dr. Death Steve Williams beast, you know, and then Samoa Joe's coming in as the unstoppable force, you know. So it was a great match to to watch. And once again it was wonderful to hear you on, on commentary, calling it first hand. Um, so from there you had a few times where you were able to call the matches on the SBG Ring of Honor Wrestling TV and you also uh, called those matches with Colt Cabana and current leading announcer of Ring of Honor uh, Ian Rickabana, what was it like or what's it like working with Ian and working at the time with Colt was that uh, another part of education or did you, you had great chemistry together, was it just another blast another great um, ride to be in the uh, chair with them well I mean I
1: pride myself on being able to work with with pretty much anybody and being able to adapt to to whatever style. Um, I've only worked with um, Ian and Colt a precious few times, once or twice. Um, Ian's another situation where, like a Kevin Kelly, um, the chemistry isn't what it could be because we are two uh, very similar announcers in what what we consider our job description to be um, there's really no alternate voice and it's almost a situation where one of us has to lay back and be more of a, more of an analyst which um you can do but again it's, if you're doing you know a, a six minute women of honor segment it's it's tough to to kind of develop that chemistry you know that's that's yeah. one of the that's one of the um drawbacks of doing some of these future events uh you know a, a lot of times i I'm driving in, I do one or two matches, and then I'm done for the night, which I don't mistake that. I'm not complaining at all. But at the same time, if I'm with an Ian Ricabani or I'm with a QT Marshall or somebody that I really haven't worked with hands-on, it's not like, okay, we can take the first couple matches and feel each other out. It's we've got the first couple matches. So in that respect, it's a little, a little bit harder to find a groove, Um, but at the same time, I look at it as a challenge. Uh, and I've looked at all of these future events as as challenges in a good way, because you have a bunch of young kids who are in the exact same frame of mind that I was in 2010. They're young, they're eager, and they want to have their stories told and I'm not going to show up and just you know job them out and treat them like generic wrestler a and B. I I I want to get their stories out there i want people to understand who and what they are and what sacrifices they've made to get to the stage so so they can be appreciated
0: for you know for the athletes they are absolutely and that's a really great transition actually because my next question was your most well-known work by far being the lead announcer and voice as you mentioned who is of the future of Honor. Um, and kind of, first of all, how did the future of honor come about as a concept? And did you have any sort of take or, um, uh, sort of influencing it coming about firsthand? Well, um, the
1: way it had kind of started was, um, Kevin Kelly was still the lead announcer and, and Ian Rickaboni had come up from the monster factory and Ian was in a position where he didn't have, you know, the road commitments and the outstanding bookings that, that I did. Um, so Ian was able to pretty much commit full time to traveling with Ring of Honor, and that's what kind of um, slid Ian into the spot of being the Kevin Kelly surrogate instead of me. Um, and Ian obviously has done a great job, and he's grown into the role very well. And when Kevin Kelly left and Ian became the lead guy, he was still doing future. And obviously when you've got to do four or five weeks of television in one night, you're not thinking about the future match. You know, um, it's, it's lower on the priority list. Um, justifiably so. So, um, I think they wanted a different voice, uh, uh, to be involved. And again, luck, timing, opportunity, um, they were running in Pittsburgh, and they were already using uh, my boy Nick Lundell from here in Pittsburgh as, as the future ring announcer. And, you know, again, I always popped in and said hi uh, whenever Ring of Honor was in town. And I forget what the issue was. I was just feeling down that weekend. I think it was just, you know... Overwork, burnout. I think I was producing a pay per view the next week, so I was, you know, I was up to my ears in stress as it was. So I, I remember thinking, like, should I even go? Like, <laughs> should, I, should I stay home and sleep? Should I stay home and like <sighs> write this press release? Finally, like, I'm, I'm, I was, I probably could had like eight things on my mind. I was behind on. Like, should I even? Go? No, I need to go. Shut up. Stop whining. Go. And. You know, it just so happened that um, they wanted to try me out on future, and um, it was it was a, a one mean team. It was Brian Johnson. It was one of his matches. Um, it's going to bother me with who the other team was until I think of it, but um, it's on YouTube somewhere. But you know, they they was slid me into that. What's was that?
0: David Vega and Matt Fidget by any chance? Not yet. They they came later. Oh yeah
1: in Columbus. I remember, I remember meeting them in Columbus, but, uh, yeah. Um, it might've, it might well, it might've been Eli and, um, and Ryan, I'm not sure. Um, but regardless, um, four young guys story to tell. And, you know, I, I was eager to prove, you know, I can contribute. You know, I I don't come into this with an ego like it doesn't matter, you know, my experience level versus Ian's or where I've been versus what Ian's done or our stylistic difference. That's Ian's chair. And if I could take future and mold it into something special and put my own voice into it and help these guys, by God, I'm going to do it. So um, I did future and. I think that I mean the feedback was great. I think it was again it was just a reminder of what I can do because you know out of sight out of mind and I think management had kind of forgotten um, you know the, the, that I can call a match and and and, and hold my own at least um, and by the end of that night me and management were talking future dates and. I think that I forget what city, but they wanted me somewhere next week, and Philly, I think. And I'm, I'm thinking like, there's my damn pay per view getting in my way again. But uh, <laughs> so uh, that was October uh, that the, the I that I came back, but and then um, by December, um, uh, I, I made the chair my own. Um, I think starting in, in Philly that December. I became the regular voice of Future of Honor, and then and then I couldn't make. They'd send me to voice, and then what I could make, I was I was there in the trenches for. And it was just you know it was a chance to to work on a different side of Ring of Honor instead of focusing on your Samoa Joe's and your Kevin Steens and your Tyler Blacks. Well, here's you know here's Brian Johnson and Joe Keys and Dante Caballero and Marcus Cross and all these young guys who want to be in those positions and you know i can't hire them but i can certainly do my part in making sure that their stories get told and they get introduced to the masses the right way
0: absolutely um been a huge fan of the future of honor since it came came to been you you mentioned his name several times i mean brian johnson is one of those guys who progress through the future of honor system must be a great thing to see on your side of things as well, you know, it's such a talent in there. It?
1: it is. And, and Brian's a guy who always, um, he's always thinking he, his brains, always moving a mile a minute. And he'll always have something on his mind, something to feed me, something to tell me something. He wants me to refer to him as I had a, you know, this nickname or this pose he's going to do, or, mm. or this mindset. He's, he's very hands on as far as making sure, you know, his objectives are, are conveyed. And, um, it's something I wish a lot of more people understood, like us as the announcers, we're all part of the same team. We all have the same goal and objective. You know, I am, I am a tool to help invest the audience in you. So use me to whatever degree you want to tell me, you know, whatever. If I think it sucks, I'll tell you, but, uh, (sighs) if you want something communicated, I'm here and obviously I'm going to do it. I'm going to be talking about you for 10 minutes anyway. So I, you know, I might as well talk about the right things. Um, but yeah, seeing the growth of Brian stands out. Um, and seeing the growth of Eli Isom stands out as well from the, uh, the Shinobi shadow squad. Um, you know, Eli has, has picked up so many things, so quickly, um, just feels so natural. Um, best years are well ahead of him. Um, I don't want to leave out Ryan Nova because I think Ryan's a little further behind as far as just kind of finding his niche and finding himself and his role. But once he gets that comfort zone, uh, he's going to be unstoppable too. I, I have, I have so much faith and belief in, in Ryan. And of course, cheeseburger as a mentor, um, as has helped guide them along so well. Um, Marcus Cross and Griff Garrison, when I did their first future match against each other before they were Master Machine mm. in uh, Concord, North Carolina, I, I, I really enjoyed that because these, at the time, they were both 19 years old. They were so full of, you know, wide-eyed and, and, and just ready to take on the world, and they knew each other so well. So, they were going to have a great match. And they just they had so much information as far as Marcus just being this karate master and Griff being this like football standout. Um, it was kind of like the the bully versus the weird kid. And there were just so many dynamics to play <laughs> off of in that match that I think worked. And I remember like just blowing my wad, for lack of a better term, like system overload to try to fit all this in. And I, and I thought, like, God, ah, that felt like too much. But that was one of the few times that, uh, that the producer went out of his way to come up to me and shake my hand and said, you did a hell of a job calling that. Because There's usually so much going on. No one's really in my ear for future because there's, you know, backstage is always chaos. They just trust me to do my thing and if I you know if I yeah. have a breakdown you fix it in post but um that was one of the few times they could actually you know sit back and and, and listen and they enjoyed that a lot and I, that meant a lot to me to uh uh to hear because I wanted to help Marcus and Griff because they're great kids and uh I really like Marcus's poofy hair
0: yeah that the tag team first were introduced to them, the monster and the machine the um The elbow, which um, is delivered from the top of the shoulders onto the the opponent, was just, that was like something out. we didn't know what to make of that. It was just absolutely brilliant athleticism. And, uh, you know, the chemistry was just on point as a tag team. Out of the Future of Honour matches you've announced or you've seen, which ones would you recommend we would check out or what were the most enjoyable ones to experience and see firsthand.
1: Uh, I mean, that one stands out quite a bit. Um, so many great matches with, um, you know, Shinobi Shadow Squad, who I think have gone undefeated in future. A um, couple of the women's matches I've been able to do with uh, the likes of Jenny Rose and uh, Stacey Shadows stands out. Um, I think my favorite... Um, My favorite uh, future match was probably one of the Pittsburgh uh, uh, events because you had um, Colin Delaney, who I've known for years, of course. And, you know, you've heard his name forever, but, God, he's still so young and so much to offer. It's Colin Delaney versus Chris LaRusso. And you had... um, you know Chris Larusso, who's a, a Pittsburgh wrestler, um, Colin, who's had extensive history wrestling in Pittsburgh. You had a uh, Pittsburgh-based referee and Joe Mandek, a Pittsburgh ring announcer Nick Lendl, and you had me from Pittsburgh on play-by-play. Play. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just a cool moment where it's like the all the work that like the local scene has put in. Kind of showed through indirectly in that match because like there's this many of us here, like we made it and we're a part of this man, and, that, and that's just so cool. Like it's awesome succeeding in wrestling, but it's even more fulfilling when you get to succeed with people you care about and you know um, feed off of their success as well. You know, uh, especially you spend hours in cars with these guys and on the road and. You know, you, you lose money if something goes wrong or you get lost along the way or you lose bookings or there's whatever it is. You know, wrestling is a cruel mistress. It's unforgiving. It can eat its young. It's it doesn't owe you anything. But when when the good moments happen, there's there's not another feeling like it in the world. And
0: um, those moments I really cherish. Absolutely love that. The The work both guys put in was phenomenal the crowd were there with them all the whole way and as you said you know colin Delaney is one of these guys who's been wrestling for so long but still surprises you just how how athletic he is how his psychology is you know on point and you know it's brilliant here as well the pittsburgh um sort of family there all swatting one together you know that little bit under you know under the uh in between the uh between the lines which is a great little uh, story as well and one of, other things, <laughs> um, one of the things absolutely. Um the other great things about the future of honor as well is that a lot of the matches take place in the Ring of Honor Dojo. Um and, and it's such a great venue to have matches in because it's looks so different, it looks so unique and it looks so fresh, something like a Rocky or some kind of movie. You know, is it is it good fun being able to announce matches in a completely different setting away from the fans just in front of the of the guys in the ring or the girls in the ring and just be a lot more sort of organic in that sense is that always good fun to watch and announce
1: I mean it, it's fun in a way but and, and again you know it's a challenge in a good way um, you know not only is it even you know I don't want to say it's harder but necessarily just uh, you need to find different ways to feed off of the energy because you don't have that audience there and Added on to that are the fact that a lot of these guys, you know, if they're in a dojo, uh, the like, like the Ring of Honor dojo, you know, they probably got selected to do these matches off of having a great showing at a Ring of Honor talent recruitment camp. So some of these guys i would never seen before. So, you know, uh, I got to hope they have a Facebook or Twitter. I can reach out to them or a Wikipedia mm-hmm. or something. I can do a little digging, but, uh, but yeah, I think, um, you know, some, some, some true, you know, gems have come out of those and some I was familiar with and some I, I I wasn't, but, um, and, and much like we're seeing with, with present day, as far as wrestling being in, in largely empty facilities, um, sometimes just having a little bit of background noise from, your peers watching can make a world of difference too, as far as adding a little bit of extra flavor and a little bit of extra energy to things. So I did enjoy those. I was never in the dojo live when, when, those happened, they were always sent to me.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, I, I'd get sent like 10 of them and Ah, I, you've broken the illusion. (laughs) But Hey, but you know what? If, if, uh, if you didn't tell, then I did my job, right. If you couldn't tell, um, But, but yeah, I, I never did them live and actually, you know, when they had first brought me back and I did that, that second event in Philadelphia after that event is when they approached me like, Hey, you can do stuff from home, right? Okay, good. We have this stuff here. So, um, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of got thrown into it, but again, of course, every challenge I'm up for, I'm more than happy to do it. Um, Probably tougher for the talent than for me, but different element. And um, I don't know if
0: you're mad at me for breaking the illusion. I guess I did my job right, didn't I? You did. You pulled the curtain back. You uh, broke cafe on the the interview. I did no such thing, sir. Um. And yeah, just, just one in the, the final question after this very long but great great interview, Joe. Thank you so much. Is in the just the final question about the future of honor, are there any wrestlers, because you have had such a history of independent wrestling, are there any independent wrestlers who you would like to see come through the future of honor system or anyone who we should keep an eye on possibly coming through in months to come who you'd like to see?
1: Well, yeah, I mean I mean the first couple I'll list, um had debuted for Future of Honor this past February. We did um a standalone Future of Honor event in uh Joppa, Maryland, um at the MCW Arena that uh I had the privilege of of doing play-by-play on. That's uh available on Honor Club right now. And that was the Future of Honor debuts of a tag team called the main event, Duke Davis and Gannon Jones Jr. They went one-on-one with um, with SOS from Shane Taylor Promotions. Uh, I shouldn't say one-on-one, on one, but two-on-two. On two. You know what I mean. It's a long <laughs> interview. Give me a break, all right? Um, but, yeah, a hard-hitting tag team match. And um, when, when management asked me, um, I don't know if management asked me or if I just kind of forced my opinion either way. But however it happened, when, when I thought of um, talent that needs to be noticed, uh, um, they were certainly um, at the top of my list. And uh, another talent uh, I'm currently um, wearing the logo of Atticus Koger is a oh, very uh, sick, sick man, but yeah. uh, someone whose career I followed very closely since he was 19 years old. Um, he's been working for me since uh, since he was 19. I've, I've literally watched him grow up, and. Um, I think Atticus Cobra has all the tools to be a huge, huge star somewhere in this business. Um, and I, I think that statement can have some kind of a weight and a gravity to it, because I met Gargano when he was 19, too, and I booked him on TV wow. for six years. Um, so I got I, I have a little bit of experience of being able to tell when somebody's got that special spark in them. Um, I think Atticus is, is, is going to. You know, obviously, Blaze is a far different trail than Gargano, but he reminds me in a lot of ways of him and the just eat, sleep, breathe, this business, mind's always working, you know, that type of deal. Just the obsessive nature that people like, you know, me need to do yeah. to, to keep sane. Um, and, and I'll defer to Alex Shelley for a couple of the other ones, because Alex Shelley had put out a tweet mentioning that he had recommended uh, Lee Moriarty and Trey Lamar for a future of honor. And they were, I think they were going to debut um, on the future of honor event that, that got postponed this, they were never announced, but um, I know Alex was pushing for them. I think Lee Moriarty, I don't know if you've, you've had a chance to see him or not, but um, he is one of those guys who has picked up this industry very naturally. um, Dedicated um student of the game has studied the lucha style the japanese style um very early 20s but he's already been in the ring with guys like shelly um trey lamar is an is a guy that got trained by gargano actually up in cleveland and um he's got he's got something special to him as well i think um You know, not all the pieces are there personality wise, but Trey has that kind of aura where you see him and you want to see more, and um, and a great guy as well. So um, between all those guys that that I just mentioned, um, you know, and and I'll I'll show some love for the Women of Honor, too, because uh, I know I've done a Ray Lynn Women of Honor match, but I think she has a ton more to offer as well. Um, into that particular division um, those right there would be my top draft picks I you know I would I would build any independent promotion um, around uh, uh, names and names like that and including them um, because to me they've got um, everything it takes to not just excel now but excel on a lot larger level later
0: yeah that's definitely people will be checking out when they come through future of honor or online before they uh, debut in future of honor and that brings us to a final conclusion joe it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege this afternoon and for you this morning <laughs> across the pond it's been wonderful um is there any social media or any um plugs you'd like to send out to all the fans on the uh, on the podcast to check your work out Oh, I love doing plugs.
1: Uh, you can check me out at my website, Joe-Dombrowski.com. Uh, all of my social media is on there: Facebook.com/slash Joe Dombrowski PW, at Joe underscore Dombrowski on Twitter, at Joseph underscore Dombrowski on Instagram. Joe-Dombrowski.com is also a place where you can get so many of my great DVD releases, and what I just happen to have a few right here, like these Samoa oh, Joe wow. matches. I have available here five hours featuring uh, a lot of Joe's matches from IWC and 1 PW that we've talked about uh, some footage from a 1 PW Q;A as well these are a uh, uh, rare Joe matches from the Indies I have DJz gone wild here this is I sat down with uh, Joaquin wild DJz 48 hours before he moved to Orlando Florida to join NXT and we tell oh, his wow. whole career story we've got some bonus features as well on here we um, lot of really cool things on here with DJ Z who I've known since he was a teenager in training. He's awesome. Um, we have Expo Lucha, which I did in, um, and by the way, DJ Z also designed the first Ring of Honor logo. We talk about that on that interview as well, which is interesting. Expo yeah. Lucha is the uh, very first uh, Lucha convention celebration. There are legends, there are future stars, And I call this show with Vampiro, and he swears a lot and buries people, and that's four discs. You get uh, a lot of hours, so many hours. I didn't even mention the runtime on the box, but there's a lot, like eight (laughs) hours of content. And also my newest release, Wrestling from the Heartland, we profile Cincinnati's HWA as a WWE developmental territory. 2001, 2002 for you ring of honor fans. You've got young Nigel McGuinness, young BJ Whitmer, young Matt Stryker with a Y, Jimmy Yang, Shannon Moore, Jamie Noble, plus guys like John Cena, Eddie Guerrero, Rikishi, Big Show, Mick Foley, Road Dogg, and so many more six hours bonus commentary track all throughout with me and Les, where we can give you the inside story of WWE developmental in that era. And I know what you're thinking. Shipping overseas is hard. It's expensive. That's why you can log on to ProWrestlingLibrary.com and get all of that in a digital format. VOD, you can subscribe, you can purchase, you can do whatever you want. Over 320 hours available to purchase right
0: now. Now, those are how you do plugs, my friend. I'm definitely going to check out some of those DVDs as well, especially the Heartland uh, DVD set which I'm really excited for definitely going to check that one out um, in terms of our plugs we're very proud to be partners of the Broken But Glorious wrestling podcast network and team um, you can find us on our website at bbgwrestling.com, and you can find us on Twitter at BBG wrestling and we're also proud to have a partnership with powerslam.tv who offer over seven thousand hours of wrestling content from over 150 promotions worldwide and you can get a month's free subscription on us at broken but glorious using the free code broken free almost two hours in there joe it's been a roller coaster of an interview but an absolute pleasure um thank you so much for your time thank you so much for answering so many questions and thank you so much for all the work you've done with Ring of Honor and the future of Honor. And stay safe in this difficult time we're in at the moment. And definitely look forward to talking again in the future about even more Ring of Honor facts and times that you've had in the company.
1: Well, I'd say thank you for putting up with my rambling and my incessant need to talk. This is what happens <laughs> when you're off the road for months and you don't have an outlet to talk for three hours a night. Um, you have to put up with the uh, the brunt of uh, all of my pent-up creativity. So thank you. Um, I appreciate the platform, and you were definitely the absolute best host from this whole broadcast. You were the best.
0: Oh, thank you. It was just a wonderful experience to uh, be able to talk to you. So um, definitely do it again, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. We'll make it happen. Definitely. See you later, everyone.